it is uh, a definite privilege to be uh, back here with you again. And as you've been studying through Romans, um, I've missed a few sessions um, because, of course, I'm only here um, to preach every few chapters. But I trust that the Lord has uh, shown you some great things in this book. This book is a hard-hitting book. Paul, as his is typical style, doesn't pull any punches, doesn't sugarcoat things, um, and really just lays it out like it is. And he's really one of uh, the role models of my ministry. Um, I want to be like Paul, rightly dividing the word of truth, and to be responsible to preach the truth is a is a high calling, which which I take very take very seriously and I hope that the Lord will bless uh, this morning. Before we get into our message, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you once again, as we have so many times before, but we should never stop thanking you for the privilege that we have to be called the sons of God. We thank you that what we are pursuing here on this planet Earth as your followers is not religion, but is rather a relationship with the Almighty Creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We ask you to bind Satan, keep him away from this meeting, that hearts would be open to what you have to teach them, and that you would bless my words and help them to be your words. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So today, we are looking at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And you know, it's interesting because we're kind of moving through this pretty fast. Because we are kind of doing a chapter every week. But one of the interesting things about this is that these are letters. So if this was read as a letter, it was probably read in one sitting and all meant to go together. And so as we, as we go through this chapter by chapter, may we keep in mind that the chapters were man-made inventions to help us um, better uh, find where we are in our, in our copy of the scriptures, but that these letters were actually probably intended to be read as a whole. So even as we go chapter by chapter, in some ways we're going slower than the Roman believers did when they read this letter. Obviously, they read it more than once and it became a part of the canon of scripture, so it was important. But I think it is interesting uh, to keep that in mind. So, starting out, we're gonna read the first seven verses here. If you're keeping notes, the name of my message is religion or relationship, that is the question. If um, you studied Shakespeare in high school, you know that one of the, the most popular lines from Shakespeare is Hamlet's soliloquy where he says, to be or not to be, that is the question. Now, but this is a much more important question religion or relationship and as we go through this I hope 
that you will realize the difference because there is a very important difference. The first point, if you're taking notes again, is religion is fruitless. Religion is fruitless. Now, I have a feeling that if I preach this in even some of our churches today, just hearing that point would get people up in arms or at least perk their ears up a little bit. Because there's a lot of religion in West Michigan. There's churches on almost every street corner. I don't even know how many churches we passed on our way here. But churches, as we understand them today, are not important. Because God has a message for the church universal which is far more important. So let's read these first um, seven verses here. Religion is fruitless. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is in the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now I want to focus a little bit on these first verses. He's saying, Paul is saying that he wants all of Israel to be saved. I think it's important to realize as we begin this chapter that Judaism was not wrong. God gave the law and he expected the law to be followed. But his primary goal in giving the law was so that the people of Israel would know that they can't keep it. So that they would turn to God. And Paul is saying, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So one of my first things that I want to tell you this morning is that it's possible to be the most sincere person in the world, hypothetically speaking, and be wrong. Our faith... Our trip to heaven is not based on how sincerely we believe something. It's whether what we believe is true. And for a lot of, for a lot of uh, religions in the world, they are sincere. They, they have very sincere beliefs. Even, even the terrorists who, who flew their planes into the World Trade Center 10, 12 years ago, they had sincere beliefs that they were supposed to do what they did. But you know, as I've studied a little bit about different world religions and different cults that have come out of Christianity, one thing that I've noticed is a lot of them don't have security. I remember hearing my uncle tell me that his pastor, for some reason, I don't remember why, 
But he went to a gathering that was mostly Jehovah's Witnesses, and they had the Lord's table. And when you're in a Jehovah's Witness church and you have the Lord's table, nobody takes it. Because the idea is, you can only take it if you're worthy, and if you take it, then you're telling the world that you're worthy. And if you're telling the world that you're worthy, then you're prideful, and so you're wrong about being worthy. But when we take of the Lord's table every morning, we're not saying that we're worthy. We're saying that Jesus Christ is worthy. That makes all the difference in the world. And Paul is saying here, these people were zealous. They knew the law. They wanted to follow the law. But zealousness doesn't make them right. What was it that Paul said? He said, I was zealous. I had everything. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. A Jew of the Jews. I, I was top of the line. And yet at the end of the day, when he was on the Damascus road, Jesus met him and say, said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul would go on to say that I gave everything up. I, I counted it rubbish that I may gain Christ. All that stuff that he took stock in, he realized was just fruitless religion. At the end of the day, Paul had to realize that in his flesh, there was no good thing. And so, um, we go on in this passage and we see, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. And of course, the law had merit. God gave the law, so we should respect it as such. And we shouldn't just throw it out because... Jesus Christ came because he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And yet we read in James that if we violate the law in one point, we're guilty of all. And what I find is one of the great ironies of life is that as bad, as, as comprehensive as the Jewish law was, the Pharisees added onto it. And Jesus actually said to them, you are giving the people a burden that you yourselves are not able to bear. So he's saying, you can't even bear this burden. You can't even follow all the laws that I set up for you, let alone the ones that you added. And now you're adding more? And you're saying to yourself, this is a good thing? Why? And... Uh, There is nothing that we could do, finishing up this point, to get to heaven. There is nothing that we could do to reach out to others to bring them to heaven. Jesus had to intercede. He had to fulfill all righteousness. And when he died on the cross, he said to us and to the world three of my favorite words. It is finished. The basic difference between Christianity and all other religions is this. 
Other religions say you must do. Christianity says it is done. What a wonderful privilege we have to have the end of the story. You know, we heard this morning about the centurion who said, surely this man was a righteous man. And we know in another passage, I believe it's John Mark in his gospel records that the same man said, truly this was the Son of God. And it's my prayer and my hope that someone found him and told him the end of the story, that Jesus is not dead, but that he lives. As we continue on, can we look at a cross-reference? And I wanted to make this a little shorter, but the whole passage is just so good I couldn't bring myself to do that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 to 22. Religion is fruitless, but Christ gives us life. Let's read a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians. Somebody gets that, they could stand and read it, that would be great. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found as witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And as I said, it was really hard to just pick a few verses out of there, and that's why I picked that long section. But Paul is basically saying here that the, the, uh, the strength of our faith is in the resurrection. You know, if all we had to live for was this life, then we would be, of all men, most miserable. And I really resonate with that because if this, was, if this wheelchair was my final destination... Then my temporary, then my destination really w would lack any sort of luster. As a matter of fact, when I was struggling with my faith, 
in my teen years, that was one thing that I often said to God. You know, God, I know that my eternal destination is secure, but my temporary destination stinks. And I know that you usually don't make mistakes, but this time you made a big one. <laughs> and he was faithful to me. And he was patient with me, and he allowed me to rail against him. And even after I did that, he still said to me, Andrew, I want to use you. And I marvel, and I'm just so thankful for that. But we realize the resurrection of the dead is the key to our faith not being fruitless. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins is why he was able to rise from the dead as an exclamation point of God saying his sacrifice was enough to take care of your sins. And because he rose, we will also rise. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And when I go to a funeral of a believer, I love those verses. Because even though it's sad, and even though you sometimes can't imagine your life without the person, you know that you know that you know that you will see them again. And when Paul's talking about the coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says at the end, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So it's a comfort to us to know that this is not the end but merely the beginning and a stop along the way. And there are a lot of people that call into question the resurrection. But we must not give that up. We must preach the resurrection with as much fervor as we preach the death. Because death without resurrection would make our faith in vain. The second point that I have is um, relationship is key. Religion is fruitless Relationship is key. And we're going to read the next seven verses here, Romans 10, 8 to 14. And I, it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Who shall ever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I'm going to stop right there because the next few verses kind of go with the third point, so we'll get to those. But as we look at this, we see how do we get to heaven. We already talked about how we don't. We already said that religion is fruitless, that following the law is fruitless, that coming to church every Sunday in and of itself is fruitless. Because God is not keeping some massive tally book of every good deed you've done. And thank goodness he's not doing that with our sins either. For the psalmist said, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that as you look at God, you see that he promises to forget our sins, and yet he never forgets his covenant with us. To be with us, to save us, and to never forsake us. Even though all we did in our human nature was to forsake him. So what do we do? We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Then we will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I want to say something here that um, may strike a little bit of controversy, but I think it's the truth. And that is that I think that the sinner's prayer, as we understand it in modern evangelical circles, is a very dangerous thing. Because we've got a lot of people today confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And they, and they make verbal assent, maybe even mental assent to it, but it doesn't get here to the heart. And we have even some prominent preachers talking about salvation as if it's something to be obtained from a vending machine. Easy come, easy go. When in reality, Jesus said, if you must follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself daily to follow me. So yes, the process of becoming a Christian is not that complicated. And yet it could very well be the hardest thing you have ever done. If it's real and genuine. You know, our country is becoming increasingly anti-God. There may come a day when you get thrown in jail for believing the gospel, for proclaiming the gospel. Are you going to be ready for that? Or are you going to leave God when things get rough? You know, one of my favorite stories is in John chapter 8, I believe. It's about the feeding of the 5,000. And the 5,000 were following Jesus because they said we got one free meal. Maybe if we keep following him, we'll get another one. And when Jesus called him on and he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said, you're following me because you want a free meal. But if you really want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means you have to be a partaker of my sufferings. You have to be willing to suffer for me. 
And when that happened, the majority of them went away. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Will you also go away? In some ways, basically giving them permission to say, Yes, we're going to leave. And yet, what did Peter say? Where shall we go for you alone have the words of eternal life? And that is the kind of follower that Jesus, even today, is looking for. Someone who will say, where shall I go for you have the words of eternal life? We cannot afford today to give half stories, to give half truths, because half truths are whole lies. Yes, we must rejoice in the love and mercy of God, but we must also talk about the judgment of God and how religion will still bring with it the judgment of God because how will you know if you've ever done enough good works to be enough? What if the number was 1 million and you only in your life did 999,999 good works? And you missed it by one. My brothers and sisters, today I'm grateful that I know someone, that I am redeemed by one who didn't miss it by any. He was 100% righteous. Continuing on with this thought. Um, can we look by way of cross-reference? Second Corinthians five. I gotta make sure that I'm on the right track here. Uh, yeah, Second Corinthians five, eighteen to twenty. Second Corinthians five, eighteen to twenty, if somebody gets that. And all things eighteen, and all things are of God, we have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, and verse twenty, now we are ambassadors for Christ, so God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that we reconciled to God. So we see in this passage that it's Jesus Christ who puts us in the right standing with God. Jesus Christ did the work. It says that, continuing on in that passage, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So what is 
the continuation of this. Where should this lead us? This should lead us to the fact that reaching out for others should be the result. I'm going to overlap a little bit into the last portion that we read and just start reading here. It says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. For the Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how, the, how shall they hear without a preacher? And then uh, continuing on. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, The Lord who hath believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, But I say, Have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, Did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was fond of them that sought me. I was made manifest unto them that sought not after me. But to Israel, I was fond of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You know, Paul starts this chapter by saying, it's my prayer that all of Israel would be saved. It boggles my mind in some ways that so many Jewish people go through their lives today. They go through the Passover and other ceremonies looking for their Redeemer. When the reality is that their Redeemer has come. And so many Jewish believers, when they trust Jesus Christ and become complete in Him, they are cast out of their homes. Even though if they would just take a hard, long look at their Old Testament scriptures, which they prize so highly, they would see Jesus Christ on very nearly every page. My prayer is that more and more people would come to Christ from the Jewish nation. There's organizations like Jews for Jesus that are trying to help accomplish that very thing. God promises that the Jews are his chosen people and he will bring them 
to himself again. But I am thankful that while we were yet without strength, while we were yet not seeking God, that he chose to bless us. That he chose to reach out and chose to make us part of his family. That is why I am here and that is why I enjoy preaching wherever I get the chance because God has done a work in me and he can do a work in anyone. And I'm so thankful to have received this calling and that God was patient while I resisted and that he's been faithful after I surrendered. I can testify that Jesus does save those who call upon him in faith. For he did that to me. And he can do that for you. As we close, I want to ask you, even as a believer, are you trusting in your own efforts? I know I think we all do that at times. Or are you coming to the cross where everyone is level? Where everyone has made mistakes? But where Jesus Christ washed it all away? And as we just read in that passage in 1 Corinthians, he, he gave us, after he redeemed us, he gave us a job. He made us ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for him. I don't know that we as Christians wear the title of ambassador with as much, much confidence and excitement as we should. I almost said pride, but that kind of seems counterintuitive. But we should be pleased to wear the name of Jesus Christ. And we should be as the as the apostles in Acts, who if we are persecuted. We should go back and pray not for the persecution to be taken away, but to become more bold. And even if God has not called you specifically to preach the gospel in the way that I am doing, he's called all of us to preach. If you're a mother, your congregation is your children. If, if you're a boss, you have co-workers and, and employees that God can use you to reach. Whatever your sphere of influence, God will give you an audience to shine for him if you're willing to be used. I'm going to close in just a few moments, but just by way of example, let me tell you about one particular instance. It's one of my favorite stories of how God allowed me to share the gospel. When I was working 
for uh, Guiding Light Mission back in 2009. My father would drop me off at the bus station in downtown Grand Rapids. And I would usually have, on average, an hour to a two-hour wait before I could start work. And so I would just wait at the bus stop and usually be like reading my Bible or listening to music on my MP3 player or whatever it might be. And one time there were these gentlemen that came and they sat at my table and I noticed that they had accents. And I said, so where are you from? And I, they said, well, we, we just recently came from Ethiopia. And immediately, God brought to mind the story from Acts chapter 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch. And so I proceeded to share with them the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, how he was reading the Old Testament scriptures, and how he said he, he didn't understand them, that he needed someone to show him. And then once he accepted the truth of the scriptures, which one of the most amazing things about that is that all they had at that point was the Old Testament scriptures, and yet Christ was evident and plain. But he said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip went down into the water and the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized and it says he went his way rejoicing. And I was able to share that story with them. Now I don't know what they did with it. They didn't make any indication to me that day that they wanted to trust Christ and I didn't really feel compelled at that point to ask them that question directly, but I definitely felt like a seed planter. And my prayer is that they, at one time or another, if they are not already believers, that they would remember that story. And that they would come to meet the one who that story is really about. You know, the interesting thing is, that story itself is a good example of God putting people in our path. Because Philip had a good ministry going on in Samaria, and God said, I want to take you away from here, because I have something else for you to do. And then he brought him to the Ethiopian eunuch. And even then, God was reaching out to Gentile nations to bring them to himself. And as we contemplate the gospel, as we realize how awesome it is, may we be rededicated to trusting the Holy Spirit to save us, producing the fruit of righteousness, and then sharing it with others with whom we come in contact.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you all. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this chapter in Romans. Um, Paul's kind of been telling us this all throughout the book, but he really hammers it home here, Lord, that the, the law is fruitless. There's nothing we can do to merit the greatness of God, the graciousness of God. And Paul really to makes it personal. He tells us, if anybody had the right to do that, it was me, and I, I still don't have any leg to stand on. We think of the words of the old hymn, I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. We thank you that he never changes yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. Lord, I thank you that one day Jesus looked on me and he, he loved me. And that he accepted me. And I pray that those in this audience will realize how much he loves them. That they will accept him as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.